And the rest of you, let me ask you to take your Bibles and let's turn to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. If you are unfamiliar with that book, find the table of contents at the front, turn a few pages, and you'll be there. It's right there at the beginning. So Genesis is where we're headed this morning. As you can see on the slide there, and as we've been telling you for some time, today we are beginning a new sermon series. And if the Lord is willing, my desire is to preach for the coming months and possibly longer uh, from the book of Genesis. There's a lot, a lot here. Let me just give you an idea of what I'm hoping to do, what my, my goal is. I, I'd like to take a, a, a deep look at the first 11 chapters in particular. That's where we want to zero in and spend a lot of time at the outset and then as the Lord allows, I'd like to work our way through, really in bigger sections, the, the, the narratives in the latter part of the book. My goal is to get through the entire thing, but really zeroing in specifically in these first 11 chapters on some foundational realities we find here. And this is the goal, the target I'm setting for myself. We'll kind of see how it takes shape as we, we move through this study together. But this morning, we are beginning a journey. And it's a journey through this formative and foundational book of Scripture. We don't yet know how long this journey will take, but we do know where this journey will lead. And my hope for each of you is that you're going to join us on this journey. You're going to participate with us in this journey. And so I, I want to challenge each of us this morning to commit to some things. I want to challenge you to commit to being here for this, okay? Uh, I want us to grow together. We're, we're going somewhere, and when you miss a step, it's, it's, uh, it's a challenging thing to keep up. So, so wherever possible, commit to being here and a part of what we're going to do. I, I'm going to challenge you to commit to studying with us. Now, there are going to be times that I may send out an email with some materials or an article or, 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 or some things in advance with certain texts that I may ask you to read a bigger section because we're not going to be able to read it all in the Sunday service, but we're going to work through sections. And so I'm asking you to commit to being a part of it with us. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to commit to wrestling hard with the questions of life. Not just the pressing questions of your life, but the big questions of life that, that are the foundation of your world view, what you believe and why you believe it and why it matters. I want you to commit to wrestling with some of these things. I want you to commit to diving into the text of Scripture, letting the Word of God wash your mind and convince you of what God has said so commit to allowing the Scriptures to wash you and to change you and to root your beliefs in the very words of the living God. Not in whatever the current fad of thinking in our culture is that seems to blow a different direction every time the wind changes. But to found what you believe on the bedrock of God's truth. And not move from there. No matter what anyone else does. Anyone else thinks. Anyone else says. Even if it seems that everyone else says something different. You stand on the truth of God's word. 
In the end, I'm going to ask you to commit to letting the Spirit of God do His forming and shaping work in you by the Word as we study it together over the coming months. Let God have His way in you, His creature, as He tells you about Himself, what He has done, what He intends, what He has promised. May we trust Him as we study His Word together. The fact of the matter is that so much of what we believe, in fact, I would suggest far more than you might even realize at this point, is rooted in and founded upon what this very first book of the Bible teaches. So much of what we believe is rooted and grounded right here. Now, from the outset of this series, I want to lay out an approach, kind of my mindset, my pastor's heart about what we want to do. There are a number of ways you can come at a book like this. There's a number of ways it's been approached in the past. And my hope is that this series is going to be a bit more pastoral than technical, okay? There's a lot of technical things here, and we're going to wrestle through the best we can, everything that's here. But I want this to minister to your soul and shape your life. I don't just want to be something where now I've got a few more answers, I've got a few more data points, and so I feel equipped. I want this to change us from the inside out. I want this to be more foundational than merely devotional. I don't want us just to come and think, oh, give, me, give me the next little thought, the little tidbit for my mind. No, I, I want this to be bedrock truth upon which we stand and on which we walk and on which we live and on which we speak and on which we minister. It, it informs, I want it to inform how we vote and how we, how we interact with neighbors and, and how we interact in culture and how we determine how we live in this life. These realities are that kind of foundation for us. I want the Word to instruct us. I want this book to be, or this study to be more applicational than, than theoretical. We can sit down and we can talk about all kinds of things, and there are some challenging interpretational things in this book. And we can sit and we can discuss and we can debate all day long a bunch of theories, but I want us to actually take the Word and let it do its work in us. We walk away on Sundays thinking, you know, there are some things I I need to do with what I've learned this week. Not merely, let's get together and have a few more debates about stuff. And I'm also praying that this series will be more Christological than simply historical. I want us to see Jesus. I want us to see the promise of of a Savior from the very beginning of God's self-revelation to us. And I want us to see how the Scriptures all point us to Him. And we don't simply sit here thinking, give me a little bit more history. But I want to see Christ. By His grace, I'm praying that it might be so. 
That kind of gives you a glimpse into my heart as we prepare to launch out into this journey through Genesis that we want to take as a church. There's certainly much, much more that we could say uh, as we begin this study, but this morning we've had baptisms. Praise God. We have the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. So with the, the more limited time we have in this service this morning, I simply want to begin this series with four introductory notes, okay? And so this is not the way I typically preach. You know, I typically run right, right to a text and we work through it, but this morning I want to prepare us to study the text. And so I want to spend a few minutes getting our minds ready <clears throat> to wrestle with this book together over the coming months. And so four introductory thoughts. The first thing I want you to consider this morning is this, as we consider an introduction to Genesis, I want you to see the meaning of Genesis, the meaning of Genesis. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, it's worth noting where this title comes from. Where does this book's title come from? Well, the term Genesis comes from the first three words of the book found in verse number one, where we read, in the beginning. In the beginning. Our English word Genesis actually comes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word that gives us that opening phrase. So the Hebrew word that gives us this phrase was then later translated into Greek. And from that, we get this word in our English. From the Greek translation of the Hebrew, we gain this title, which means very basically origins or beginning. Beginning. And what a fitting title for this book that is. Because as I've been noting, Genesis is truly the foundational book for all of Scripture. It's included in the canon, and it's included first in the canon for good reason, because it is the beginning of the story. It begins at the beginning, a great place to start, we're told, right? And the story of creation, the, the story of the fall, the story of redemption, and the, the story of the ultimate consummation of all things begins right here. Though God existed before all that we read here and, and, and throughout all the rest of Scripture, this book is the beginning of the record of all that God intends for us to know about Himself. That's where it starts. My friends, this book is foundational for more reasons than simply its, its chronology. It starts at the beginning. You see, the rest of Scripture keeps pointing back to this book, what's written in this book. In fact, there are, there are more than 35 direct quotes from this book throughout the rest of the Bible. More than 35 times that the Scripture directly quotes the book of Genesis. And more than that, there are literally hundreds of allusions to the context of Genesis, its stories, its characters, its record, the creation, all through the Bible. And I think it should be abundantly clear to us then from the beginning of our study of the book that, friends, what we are about to study is absolutely indispensable to our having a right understanding of the beginning of all things, the rest of the revelation of Scripture, and how life is designed by God to work in this world He created. If we are going to understand a proper biblical worldview and how to understand Scripture and what we're to know about our God, we have to wrestle with this book. It can't simply be one of those that we know is way, way back there in that Old Testament part of the, the Bible where, where many times, sadly, for many professing Christians, you go to the Old Testament and your Bible kind of creaks 
because it's not often open there. And I think we need to be far better acquainted with this portion of Scripture than we, than we may be at this point. And so with that in mind, then, let's just consider a second introductory note. We said we need to consider the meaning of Genesis, but secondly, consider the author of Genesis. The author of Genesis. <clears throat> Though it's been more recently debated, virtually no one in the early church questioned the authorship of Genesis. In fact, everyone in the church for centuries agreed that Moses was the author of Genesis. With the rise of modern scholarship, though, critical scholars have postulated a number of theories as to how we got this book. The problem with all of these theories, though, is that they disregard the rest of Scripture. Just read the Bible. It tells you who wrote this book. I did a lot of reading about some of these theories over the last several weeks, and I'm not going to bore you with all those details, because in my opinion, they're worthless theories. The Bible answers it. Just read the Bible. You see, the uniform testimony of the Bible is that Moses was the author of Genesis, along with Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. In fact, there are more than 20 biblical passages that attribute those five books to Moses. In fact, when the scriptures want to refer to that first part of the Bible, those five books that contain the law and the early history, it, it just refers to it as Moses. Not, not as history or the Pentateuch, it just refers to it as Moses. In fact, in, in uh, Mark chapter 12, here's, here's an illustration. Jesus says this, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? He's referring to the Pentateuch here. In the passage, he quotes directly here from Exodus. In the passage about the book, how God, about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, "I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." Jesus himself refers to these first five books, this Pentateuch, as the, the book of Moses. In Luke sixteen and verse twenty nine, we read this. But Abraham said, "They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them." Luke twenty four twenty seven. Jesus, and beginning with Moses, he, uh, Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. That's just three passages. There's, there's at least 20 of these where the scriptures just refer to the first five books of the Bible as Moses' work. As you study scriptures, it becomes very clear very quickly that the other scripture writers believed and wrote under the Holy Spirit's inspiration that Moses was the author of the first five books of scripture, including Genesis. And understanding that then, we just need to move on to another introductory note. So we said we need to understand the meaning of Genesis and we need to consider the author of Genesis. But thirdly, I want you to consider the structure of Genesis. As you read this book, as we work through it over the next few weeks and months, what are we going to find? Well, friends, like more recent scholars have been divided on the question of who wrote Genesis, even more scholars seem divided on the question of what is Genesis? What is it? By that, we mean this. What kind of literature is this book? You have to wrestle with questions of genre. What, what kind of literature is this book? What is it intended to be? And so, uh, again, there are a number of things postulated. Well, maybe it's just narrative. Maybe it's just story. And it's just telling us some stories. Or, or maybe, maybe it's, 
It's mythology. It just contains the myths of the records of how things began and, and, and what we understand. Or, or maybe it's tradition. Just oral tradition passed down and finally written down. Or, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's history. Maybe it's factual history. And some have even said, well, well, it's filled with theology. It's filled with theology. So it's a theology of sorts. And others have just asked, might it be some kind of a hybrid of more than one of these very genres? How do, how do we read this book? How are we to understand it? I think it's important to understand at the beginning, friends, that many who would have us believe that Genesis is simply myth or simply tradition do so with an agenda. They do so in order to undermine its inspired authority over us. If it's just myth, if it's just tradition, it really doesn't have any weight on what you think today because there's a lot of myths and traditions throughout the world about how things began and about what happened. And the goal of these who would undermine its authority seem to, to, to really want us to conclude that Genesis is nothing more than the, than the mythical record of origins of a people that was passed down by oral tradition until someone, or as many postulate us, multiple someones, finally wrote it down. And so there's really no basis for you to stand on this and let your worldview be shaped by this because it's just a bunch of myths that got passed down by tradition and now finally somebody wrote it down and that's really where you want to hang your hat? That's really where you want to rest your head? That's really where you want to plant your feet? On a bunch of myth and tradition? But friends, nothing could be further from the truth. That it's just myth or tradition. You see, the structure of the book actually helps us make sense of what the book is. When you stop and think about how it's written, it helps us understand what it is. The truth of the matter is that the book is broken down by the author into, into 11 different sections. 11 sections. Let me just demonstrate to you how it's broken down. You see, we, we start first with what we might call the prologue or the introduction in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. There's, a, there, there's an introduction to what, what's being said. And then what you find in chapter 2 and following is, is the history of, of heaven and earth. And then you come to chapter 5 and you find the family history of Adam and you start to see a pattern form very quickly as you read the book because the rest of the book is broken down into the family history of Noah and Noah's sons and Shem and Terah and Ishmael and Isaac and Esau and Jacob. And you say, well, Pastor Joe, are you just coming up with that on your own? I mean, is that something you've just kind of picked out of the book? No, it's actually a, a very scholarly approach to the book because all you have to do is read and you start to find a pattern in the author's language. You see, each of these sections, except for the prologue, is set off with a version of the same phrase. And the phrase goes something like this. These are the generations of. These are the generations of. For instance, Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. I'm not going to do this all ten times, okay? 
But I want you to know that the way we come to those ten breakdowns after the prologue are they all are introduced like this. These are the generations of, and then we find a record that follows. Some of them are short, some of them are long, some of them are very general. They're just kind of like a list of fathers and sons, and others are detailed stories that go on for chapters and chapters. But what we find is this language. These are the generations, or this is the, the family history of these men. And as you can see, and you'll see more and more as we study, there's a clear pattern here in the book of Genesis as to how it's broken down. And that pattern continues throughout the book, and it sets off each of these 11 sections. You've got the prologue, and then 10 sections set off with the phrase, these are the generations, or some version of that statement. Now, friends, the fact that each of these sections is presented as a record of the history of a family line should provide some help, I think, in determining what's actually going on in this book. How are we to handle this book? How are we to think about what we find in this book? How do we categorize the, the literature of this book? And I think it should be clear to even the casual observer then that, that Genesis is clearly not myth, and it is not presented merely as tradition. What's more, each section of the history presented is not handled equally, as I said, or in the same length. So it's clear that Moses had a very specific purpose and intent for writing what he did, for shaping the storyline. He's actually going somewhere with what he's writing. Taking all of this into account, then I think we should rightly conclude that the book of Genesis is a collection of historical records compiled for the purpose of communicating theological truth to the reader. This book is shaped by its author out of the inspiration of the Spirit of God. It is a collection of historical records, but it's going somewhere. It doesn't contain everything that happened back then. It contains a storyline He's communicating something that we need to get our minds wrapped around. In other words, Moses had a specific purpose for shaping the narratives in the book of Genesis as he did. And like every good author and every other biblical author, he was going somewhere with what he wrote. And all of this leads us directly to our next introductory note, the last one for this morning. And it's simply this. We said the meaning of Genesis, the author of Genesis, the structure of Genesis. Okay, let's... Let's conclude this morning with with the theme of Genesis. What's going on here? There are a number of things postulated by a number of people, and like I said, I've been doing a lot of reading over the last few weeks. I've tried to, to the best I can in my mind as I read the text, distill down what I want to say to us and how I want us to think about this over the coming weeks. Well, in order for us to make sense of where Moses was going when he wrote Genesis, I think we have to remember the fact that the book is the first of five books that make up what we call the Pentateuch. Those five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And as I told you earlier, they are referred to in the, uh, elsewhere in Scripture as the book of Moses. Those five books are called the book of Moses. So it has to be understood then that Genesis really is the, is the indispensable prologue of the Pentateuch. It's the introduction to what Moses is going to give us in all five of these books. In other words, nothing that we read in Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy really makes sense 
without the foundation Moses is laying in Genesis. And since that's the case, I think we need to consider then the purpose of the Pentateuch and then narrow down the focus on the book of Genesis. If if all of this goes together as a, a package, as it were, then what are we doing with all of that? One, one commentator, one writer, M.H. Siegel, interestingly enough, first name is Moses, Moses Siegel. That seems rather fitting for somebody to write on the Pentateuch. Moses Siegel has suggested that the real theme of the Pentateuch is the selection of Israel from among the nations and its consecration to the service of God and His laws in a divinely appointed land. Well, there's truth to that, but it's, it's too short-sighted. It, it doesn't take into account all that's going on here. Was the nation of Israel an end in itself? Well, it wasn't. In fact, the story is so much bigger than that. In fact, I would, I would flesh this out further, building on the idea that a number of writers have used, like seagulls. And I would say this, that the Pentateuch records the story of the Creator God's selection of a particular people to whom He would communicate His will and make His promises, through whom He would send the promised Deliverer, and by whom He would make the Deliverer known to the world. God is doing something big, bigger than the individual characters, bigger than the nation that he is selecting, bigger than the ones he's going to bless. God's doing something enormous here. That's the heart of the, that's being communicated through the Pentateuch then. I think that Genesis needs to be understood as the record of how all that got started. That's what God's telling us about what he's doing among the the nation and the nations. In fact, if I were to attempt to concisely state the undergirding theme of this book, I'd use a, I've strung together a number of words here. You'll see them, I think, as we study the book. But I'm just going to give you the statement now, and hopefully we'll see how it unfolds as we work our way through Genesis. But I would say this, that Genesis is the record of how God created, commanded, corrected, chose consecrated, covenanted with, and commissioned a people through whom He would send the Savior into the world and by whom He would send the good news of salvation to the nations. God is doing something amazing. And we have to wrestle with the question of, do we believe this? And what will we do with this? That God created and commanded and corrected and chose and consecrated and covenanted with and commissioned a people through whom He'll send the Savior and by whom He'll make that Savior and His salvation known to the world. Now, friends, All that we consider to this point, and really all we're going to be able to tackle for this morning, is helping to prepare the ground for our understanding of the text of this book that we're preparing to study over these weeks, okay? But you know me, I I can't stop without at least getting to the text. And so I'm just going to read one verse. It's unlike me. I'm going to read one verse from the Old Testament, and I'm going to read a passage from the New. 
Before we bring it to a close, I want to read the inspired introduction to the book of Genesis. It's just Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, I want to stop right here and start preaching. <laughs> Lord willing, we will come back to this verse next Sunday. But friends, before we turn our attention to the table this morning, I want you to think with me. I told you I'm going to turn to one more passage of Scripture. Some of your minds are probably racing ahead already. You know where we're headed because I want to turn to a passage of Scripture that begins just like this one does. You see, in John's inspired introduction to his gospel, he makes much of that deliverer we were just talking about. That promised one, the, the one that's prepared for in the book of Genesis. And it's that same promised one that we who are now in Christ, if we're saved, celebrate when we come to the table. Understanding that, then I just want you to listen closely to the familiar words of the beginning of the book of John. Where he begins just like the writer of Genesis did. In the beginning was the Word, referring to Christ Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Listen again to the language we'll see a little later in Genesis 1. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is an amazing and glorious reality. God created all that is through Christ. 
Christ is God. In Christ, God came to live among and to die for His people. And the text tells us that to to all who received Him, He gave the right to become the children of God. All who believed on His name, He made children of their Creator. That, my friends, is what we celebrate at the table. The salvation that comes through Christ alone. So this morning, I want us to direct our minds for these final minutes of our service with with unspeakable gratitude and with overwhelming rejoicing in our hearts. I want us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. I, I find as a a New Testament Christian, that even when I read the opening words of Genesis, I can't stop there because those words are pointers, intentionally so, to the Savior who saves us from our sins. When we repent and when we believe on His name. So this morning, we want to turn our attention to the table. I'm going to pray. As I do, I'm going to ask Pastor Dave to come, and we're going to prepare ourselves for this. I will mention this to you. If you were coming in and did not yet get the elements, maybe you didn't see them as you came in or missed them, now would be a great time to go and grab those uh, so that you can participate with us in the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Father, while we've spent our time in the, in the study this morning, preparing our hearts for the text of the book of Genesis, we still marvel at the way that you have given to us what we need for life and for godliness. And we pray, Father, that in these moments now, we would lift our eyes to Jesus, who was in the beginning with you, making all that is and has now made a way to you by the shedding of his own blood and the sacrifice of his own life. And even now, he is with you, interceding on our behalf. We marvel at the grace that is ours in Christ, and we pray, Father, for any who are with us this morning yet outside of Christ, may they turn from sin and trust Christ alone. Make them children of God. And we'll thank you, Father, for what you do, even in these moments, as we rejoice together in the goodness of Christ and the grace of our God. For it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.